Hello, welcome to another edition of Spotlight. We're back with another one of our special supplemental episodes. Uh, this episode we're interviewing Conrad Coates, who uh, played Admiral Terrell in uh, Star Trek Discovery, the uh, Vulcan Admiral often seen chewing Jason Isaacs' <laughs> Gabriel Lorca out over his awful... Complete disregard uh, for war, protocol. Or criminal uh, he decisions. He would never listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, if only he had listened to the Admiral. It's almost uh, like he wasn't quite himself. <laughs> <laughs> As Conrad will tell us all about um, getting that role, uh, working with Jason Isaacs and the rest of the cast, and yeah, it's really interesting in regards to that, but not just Star Trek. There's other acting roles to talk about as well, being that Conrad has had over 100 credits yeah, 120 on IMDb. Like, yeah. It was great to hear like his upcoming role in uh, Welcome to Marwen, Robert Zemeckis pitch, and we were just really excited about hearing about what it's like mm. to work or meet you know somebody you really mm. revere, you know, actually get to work for them. Yeah, it was terrific to hear about that. He's been in tons of stuff. You may remember from a small part in Tron Legacy. You get to chat about that a little bit, a film that we all really love here. And his other TV appearances... Degrassi, he's Drake's daddy, uh, Defiance, uh, lots of other things, plus uh, word on his acting school that he set up and some of his stage work as well. Yeah, there's lots of stuff to talk about with him, so it's really great. He's a real actor's actor. Yes, and, yes you know, and we get to good actor talk here, which we're going to get. Yes, and good actorly advice. Yeah, he's a really great guy. So we're all going to adopt the method. We'll yeah, yeah, so. well, yeah, that's it. We will only be in character from now on. <laughs> uh, so enjoy the conversation, Mr. Comrade Coates. First of all, uh, just wanted to ask, being that you have recently acted in Star Trek Discovery as Admiral Terrell, the Vulcan Admiral, um, were you a fan of the series before you came in? I think like any, you know, any smart human being on this planet, I think everybody's been watching Star Trek at one point or another. Um, I mean, I, I did watch some of the original series when I was a kid, you know, and... Uh, it was sort of beyond me. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm a self-professed. I'm not a, I'm not a geek in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I've got tons of geek friends, and so, you know, I'm always sort of aware. Um, I did uh, get into the the Next Generation. Okay. Uh, there was that was a really interesting um, series to me. The Deep Space Nine and. Um, the others, uh, they didn't really do it for me. I loved the movies. The movies were, you know, amazingly full of action and so forth. So, and I'm a real action guy. I love, I love action films. When I'm trying to relax, that's that's where I go. So I do love, I love the films. And of course, you know, this series is something very special as well. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Sorry, just got to diverge for a second. You say you're a big mm-hmm. action cinema uh, fan. What are a couple of favorite action classics for you? Oh, that's a good one. Um, well, I like the John Wick, you know, just sort of like working yeah. from the recent, you know, I love anything John Wick. I love uh, yeah. I love the Transporter uh, series. Oh, with, okay. uh, a bit of Statham, yeah. Uh, Jason, yeah. Um, uh, of course, uh, there's, there's one that I really enjoyed. Um, I believe it was a, a Danish film um, called uh, In Order of Disappearance. Oh. And uh, it's a real spin on the American style. 
of a gangster film, but just done with this really deft hand of intelligence and, and humor. Uh, I'd highly recommend you to check it out if you have Netflix there, which I'm sure you do. Uh, it's it's on there in order of disappearance. Okay, Definitely one of my. Is that is yeah. that a recent film? Recent Danish film? Uh, I saw it last year, and I think it's been out for at least a couple of years now. Mm. So probably you know, fifteen, sixteen was its, its release. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. It's going on the list. Um, but back to yeah. uh, Star Trek. So how <clears throat> did that come about? You getting cast in that role? I willed it to happen. <laughs> you worked with your Vulcan mind powers. That's, you know, I just put my hand up to my head and I went, I'm going to be on this show. And uh, I made it so. Um, <laughs> once I heard that that the show was, you know, there was going to be another uh, iteration of the show, uh, I have agents um, all over the world, it seems. I have a Los Angeles agent, a Vancouver agent, a Toronto agent. And I immediately started bugging them, going, you got to get me into this. And they were going, they're not even casting yet. And I go, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be on this show. We're, you're going to get me on this. And they were trying to figure out a way of, you know, getting me seen and so forth. Um, and uh, I was in Toronto at the time, and apparently they were holding auditions in Toronto. So I said again to my agent there, you know, please. Um, get me into the room and, and uh, nothing happened and then all of a sudden it was like can you send a tape in and I went absolutely and I sent I think I sent in three tapes uh, and nothing happened um, I think I went in and I read for it with the casting director and nothing happened but you know you can say nothing's happening but you know it takes a long term a long time for the universe to kind of line things up for you and um I sent another tape in, and they were like, they love you. And Stop I was like, sending well, tapes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so then next thing I know, I'm, I, I've, um, I've got a small part, uh, a small appearance. I didn't say any lines in the first time I appeared, and then uh, it slowly grew to you know, where you see the Admiral today. And it's uh, coming on Star Trek. It's like you could just be cast as any you know alien with like some random costume, but you were wearing a Starfleet uniform. And I okay, like, great. Like, and yes. that was just a moment where like I'm. Mm. Oh, this is something different. This is something cool. It's a surreal. It still is a surreal experience for me because you know now I'm attending uh, uh, conventions and so forth. When I went, when I went for the fitting and started to see, you know what what it was that I was going to be wearing, my heart rate just just went up. Like, it just it just went up. You know, my palms were getting sweaty, and all I could keep, keep saying to myself was, you know, don't don't be the weakest link in this chain, you know? <laughs> don't don't screw this up. Like, just whatever they want you to do, that's, that's, that's exactly what you're going to do. You know, like, there's, they've been working on this clearly for years and years and years, and... Uh, as I had a, a producer tell me a long time ago when I was working on another show, because it was sort of, you know, your audition Monday, cast Friday, on set the following Monday morning. And I, you know, and I said to him, like, why is it, why is it, why am I being called, like, at the last second to, you know, start working on my stuff? You know, like, why, how come I get 48 hours and everybody else has got, you know, 48 months? And he goes, Conrad. The actor is the last hair on the dog's ass, <laughs> you know, and that's 
And so you just sort of you kind of go into the situation. Uh, you, you know what it is. But at the same time, you don't know what what it is, you know, and then to hear that I was going to be playing, you know, a Vulcan on top of it. It was like, oh, my God, I've got to start watching everything Spock, which is what I was basically how I did my research uh, for how I was going to play it. I, you know, I don't even think I even really fully achieved it where I wanted to get with it. But, um, you know, it was it was tricky. It's hard. It's very hard. You don't know what's going to happen, and you're kind of tapping around in the dark. You know, you've got a bunch of clues and breadcrumbs and people with flashlights at the end of the tunnel, but you still got to make your way through it and to it, you know? Yeah. Do you, remember the, uh, do you remember the first moment you had your ears on? Because I imagine that was the part where it felt really real. <laughs> it was like, okay, now I, now I look like a Vulcan. <laughs> uh I remember when, you know, that was that was a three-hour process in itself. And, I mean, I've sat through, you know, makeup, uh, working on other on other shows. And it wasn't until, like, I left the room, I put on my full costume, and I, you know, was on set, you know, and I could feel it. And then I went to the washroom, and there was, like, a full-length floor... You know, I could see the top of my head to the toes of my feet, and I stood back, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's it's when the full impact hit me. Uh, and then I went back onto the set, um, and now I'm looking at props, you know, and I remember at one point I looked down, I was just getting ready to shoot a scene, and I looked down, and I went, is that a tribble? And I just started, you know, laughing to myself. And everybody's, they're kind of over it. They've been, you know, the machine's been running for a couple of months for them. And, and I looked down and I, and I was just biting my lip with glee. And then in the middle of the scene, of course, you know, Props is going to make the triple move. And it moved across the desk uh, between Jason and myself. And I just, I must have had the goofiest grin on my face because it just was it's it's a surreal experience you it really emotions, is surreal no i'm not i'm not supposed to but uh, <laughs> i gotta Front tell you there were, there were times <laughs> yeah there were absolute times when i was showing emotion in and i would just hear off you know by the video village where the director and writer and producer and all the other eyes are on their eye here is no conrad no emotion back it up do it again <laughs> i just you know take a breath and swallow that lump in my throat and and uh, you know away i go a, a, again and uh it was very it was yeah it's it's a very different place to be for sure so you said it's you went back different. to the original series uh quite a bit uh in preparation for the role um watching leonard nimoy's performance presumably uh spock um, were there any particular moments that really stuck out for you when going back and watching that stuff that really influenced your performance? Well, his relationships, you know, to to Bones and uh, of course to Captain Kirk. You know, it's it's always about it's about relationships. Like regardless of what the monster is or what the alien is or what the human is that you're playing, you know, it's, it always comes down to the relationship, you know, and watching him and how he would have his relationships play out. And yet they'd still respect him for his differences and his oddity, which is, I think is at the center of the Star Trek mythology is that sort of, 
openness and and acceptance you know you know what i mean yeah completely i think you're exactly right i think the the thing that completely drives certainly that original show is the relationships between kirk spock and bones very much so and like you say how a vulcan learns to relate to the humans on the ship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, i mean you know the the situations and circumstances you know that that, that they always find themselves that's one thing but just how he always sort of like stood in it as a person who's very, you know, we can use the word stoic, but I think that's even sort of underplaying really what he was trying to achieve, you know, as, as an actor playing a certain character that we've never experienced in any other lexicon of filmmaking or television making prior. You know, he's, he's not a machine. He's, uh, you know, he's got some human qualities to him because he is half human so there you know but but still he was still very much you know solidly in this position of logic everything is about logic and thinking things through and you know determining making decisions based on logic you know very it's it's very cool it's very cool well, exactly that, and I suppose playing an admiral on the show, that's something, that exact aspect is something that you really connect with because obviously, you know, an admiral, a strategist, you know, he's making his decision very much based on that. You would imagine that would be why a Vulcan would rise to that position, perhaps, because he'll make the decisions that need to be made based on nothing but logic. Right. Uh, a great lawyer. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, a, a great I, lawyer, a great judge, you know, a good King Solomon, you know, that emotion has, there's no room for emotion here. There's, there's no, there's, there's no place for it here. This is all about, um, you know, making a decision based on information. And that period. leads us to kind of talk about a bit like your scenes with Jason Isaacs, like Lorca, who, you know, is, you know, very much a human character like he just you know go in by you know his gut a lot of the time and you're kind of having to keep him in check like although you kind of like are doing that vocal thing like you know you know when you've got your best player on the play on the field mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. who might not be doing what you want him to do but you kind of like um, he's a wrecking ball it might be quite it, it, that kind of juxtaposition of you your tactics aligned with like you know this person I can't control you know those scenes were really you know powerful on the basis of that but he never listens to me. <laughs> so, you know, Damn loose cannon. So much for my, so much for my authority. <laughs> you know, like the man just went off and uh, you know did his own thing. Like it was always sort of astounding uh, how he always got away with stuff. To me, you know what I mean. Like he always gets away with, it. and then of course in the end, you know, we all we all see why what's going on. But you know, in the moment, it's just like, listen, bad boy. <laughs> this, is, this is this is what you're told to do. This is what you're ordered to do. This is what a real officer is supposed to do. Follow orders. Do what I say. And he just okay, great. Now that the screen's off, uh, now we're gonna go do this. You know, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. Well, we all know he has friends in high places as well. Uh, sure so, does. Yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose, like, like you say, at least now you know the reason he was ignoring your orders was because he was pure evil. From the yeah. universe, so you know, well, it was nothing personal against the admiral. 
But, you know, you do believe that he is fighting for the good side. Yeah, you, oh no, you do, yeah, certainly. Before, I mean, it came as a complete shock to us when it, the, the revelation kind of happened, the, the the big twist, which I'm sure it came as a shock to to you as well, because the, I believe that uh, all of your episodes that you appeared were in the first half of that kind of season as it went out, it was split in two halves, and obviously the revelation of who Lorca actually was came the second half. So was that something you were aware of on set? Or? You know, I gotta say, um, uh, again, um, not, not to give too much away, but I read it as an audience member. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm taking it in. I'm imagining, you know, how this or that's gonna look. The show was full of surprises. For me, the material was always like, oh, wow. Oh, we're going down this rabbit hole. Okay, and away we would go. Uh, and the, the part that the public doesn't know, so here we go. Um, I was not allowed to read anything prior or afterwards. You know, if I'm not in that episode, you know, they're saving me the temptation of knowing too much and then revealing anything. I've just They just wouldn't give me any information. So when I now I'm watching the show as an audience member, I'm I'm on the ride right along with y'all. It's it was pretty amazing actually. Mm. So it was yeah, bigger surprise to you as it was was to us when it happened. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That's definitely going to have your cake and eat it to be part of the show, be in the show, and to still have the surprises. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, it is, and and you know, like there were there were times when I'd be like, oh my god, I wish I knew this or that or this or that, but y- you know, that's power of the imagination. You know, I would just make up whatever I would think that the story is, and then try to go for a little confirmation as I'm shooting, get a little bit of information out of the director or the writer if I was lucky enough that they were there, uh, and and just try to you know stay true to what I think is going on. But outside of that, I'm, like I say, I'm in a dark tunnel right right with you all as, as an audience member. You get, you get Jason on the phone office and be like, you were keeping this from me? That what was going on? I guess I betrayed. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet guy. No. No, unfortunately, no. No. So while you're tightly gripping on to your signed NDA... Uh, agreement. Yeah. Um, yeah. Could we possibly be seeing a return appearance for Admiral Terrell in season two? Wow. I, at this moment, I could only hope. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like or did he perish in the uh, war with the Klingons? <laughs> yeah. You see, like there's a lot of casualties. I, I, I don't know. Like I really yeah. don't know. Like I really, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of rumors flying flying around about which direction the show is, is taking, who's going to be on the show, uh, what their role is. on. You know, there's all of that going on right now, speculation mostly. And uh, um, I'm just sitting on the sidelines. I'm not waiting for the phone to ring. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and I would love to be back on the show, but I have not heard a word. I'd just be interested to know what, what your opinion is about this. Um, when there's the hiatus uh, between, like, a, you know, season one, part one, season two, part two, and, you know, the online speculation, do you feel there's anything in people thinking that sometimes what fans think or want influences the direction of a show? Or do you think the creators on this were so kind of set with the, what they planned to do from the beginning that they wouldn't have been swayed by anything somebody online would say? Oh, they're definitely not sweet. They're, they, they are 
They like to know, and I know that they do kind of follow. Most productions would would do this, you know, if they if they have their their heads on right. They are following what the fans will accept in terms of the believability of something or. Uh, this or this or that is out of order or that's a bit of an anachronistic uh, thing that you've just put up there. There's, you know, they really pay attention to when the online community, you know, speaks about that. But in terms of like which way the story should or should not go, no. Mm. So it's more what uh, they'll accept but not what they expect. Yes, exactly. And that's, that's pretty interesting. I think, yeah. cause I think they, they know that the show, you know, has such a, a big following. It's nice that they see they they have they do trust in like the fans to kind of like be almost the experts of that, the keeper of the faith between you know the long years between productions because you know they ones maybe are keeping it alive. You know, from the two thousand four to you know twenty seventeen when this came out, it's like it's, it's nice that they kind of like are aware of that. Well, you know, they respect the fans. I, I, I you know, it's. Because of the fans, this is where it's at. You know what I mean? I believe that, that when this show, like when the first episode went up, you had 16 million people. I think that was just the American numbers. Um, you had 16 million people watching uh, on the first night. Mm. Like that's that's staggering. You know, okay, granted, it's a population of, again, I'm speaking just of America, not even North America. America, you know, 350 million people and 16 million people watched in the first night. Well, in certain countries, if you get 500,000 people watching a show, that's a hit show mm-hmm. in itself. Well, the now I believe you know, we're over, million. I think we're over 50 million, 60 million worldwide views per episode. Mm. Like, uh, I think an article phenomenal. came out the other day saying it's now like the most watched TV show in the world right now. I'm pretty sure that's now been confirmed with kind of stats and stuff. There you go. So yeah, they do. They do really respect what the public, what the audience, the fans, like the real fans. You know, people such as yourselves, gentlemen. Like you know, hats off to you. You are driving this bus, you know, in a weird way. You know what I mean? It's probably like an American coming over to England uh, and noticing that the wheel is on the other side. But, you know, of the steering wheel I'm referring to, you know, it's it's being driven nonetheless. You know, even though you can't see the driver, it's being yeah. driven. And, and that's the fans. They're they're driving this thing. It's amazing to me. It really is. I've learned I've learned quite a bit about about fan input on this show and, and, a, and a love for something. Well, you mentioned the conventions earlier on. Like, have you had any kind of... How's the convention circuit been going for you? Have you had any interesting experiences there? Uh, I can speak of one in particular. Okay. Um, I was in uh, Virginia. Uh, not, I'm going to Virginia, actually, in two weeks' time. Uh, I was in Atlanta, which was called Treklanta, uh, about three weeks ago, maybe a month ago. And um, a gentleman comes up, and he had a poster. A lo- like a, it felt like an oversized, you know, regular film poster. Uh, and um, it was a Star Trek show poster. And he goes, would you mind signing this for me? And I looked up at it, and I went... Wait a second. That's 
That's William Shatner's signature. And that's Leonard Nimoy. And there's and every star that you could think of that was ever on a film or, a, or the show had signed this poster. And he said, would you sign it? And I, I, I kid you not, my hand was shaking as I, as I, you know, put the pen to the paper. Because, you know, that to me really uh, launched me. You know, I've been doing this for, for a while, as you know. Uh, but I really felt at that in that moment, I became like a, a type of a celebrity, something that I don't I don't pursue that. It's not why I do what I do. But um, I really felt honored uh, in that moment to be asked by a fan to be a part of, you know, history, television history for real. And of course, part of the now the real mythology of Star Trek that I, that. I'll forever treasure that. Mm. that it's moment. like a it's like a yeah. physical symbol of this world that you're now a part of, and it's like this absolutely is, this, this is making it so much more real because this is yeah this isn't just untold numbers that I know are watching the show. This is one person with this historical art uh, you know artifact going add to this because you're in this world now. That's that's amazing. Yes, that's exactly wow. You said it better than I did. I'm going to get you to write my book. <laughs> no, no, like no, you did. You said it better than I did because that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. And it feels like whatever happens, it's been very special for you just to be a part of that legacy. Oh, yeah. As much as I would love to be on the show, I know in my heart of hearts I, I've been on the show and everybody knows that I'm on the show and it's there and it's a document and it's for real. And that's... You know, I've done a lot of things, and I've worked with a lot of people, and, and each moment has been really special. But this is in a, a case over there by itself. You know what I mean? I can say I've acted on a show. Yeah, that's one thing. But to say that I've acted in this show and told this, been a part of this other type of a story, fictional or not, is wow. It's mind blowing. It's it, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. And I mean, did it just blow your mind just when you were on that set? Because I mean, as a kind of, it's such a huge kind of undertaking. Something like Star Trek. I would imagine that just to be on that set amongst those kind of like you know all that kind of designs, the costumes, all the other kind of great actors that are in part of that ensemble. Um, you know, must feel like a really kind of crazy experience in itself. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's big. Like, it's, you know, when you're, um, I'm not sure what you guys do outside of, you know, this podcast, uh, you know, excuse my ignorance on that, but you know when you are a part of something that is big. Like, I believe even your own podcast, it's bigger than you as individuals, and it's bigger uh, than you as a group, even though you are the creators of it. It's bigger than you. You know what I, Does that make sense? Yeah, and so, certainly uh, does, yeah. yeah, and so that there's a certain thing that you have in your heart where you're going to respect this thing. You know, there's many songs that would say, you know, uh, you're going to serve somebody. 
You know what I mean? It might not be this Lord, or it might not be that God, or it might not be your mother, but you're going to serve somebody at some point in your life. And here you are, you're servicing this thing, an entity that is just bigger than you. And the, the, the thing that is so uh, honorable about it is the message of what Star Trek is all about. Again, you know, to reference the inclusiveness, the acceptance, the ultimate change that humanity makes as, you know, it has gone through time and how humans have come to these other worlds and have seen this and is bringing this message back to us at this day and age, you know, 2015 and 50 years earlier, you know, people have seriously taken taken that on as as almost like a commandment, you know, and uh, that's been fascinating for me to discover. I had no pun intended. That's but it really has. I've, I've really come to, like, you know, understand that. And I didn't understand that as I was watching the show. I, I didn't go all the way down into the hole and I didn't drink all of the Kool-Aid. But now, as a performer on the show, I look at it and, I, and the fans that I've had the pleasure of talking with have made me and shown me this thing. And I go, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I think uh, any creative person uh you know who's trying to you know strive for something larger than themselves and their message and their work and their you know whatever their body has to go through or their mind has to go through to you know say this one thing it is better to give than to receive whatever that may be you know this show has it and that's what's so wow <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Mm. There, there it is. I hope I didn't go on too long about no, it. No, not at all. Beautiful. <laughs> Loved it. You've just recently acted in, it's not been released yet, but quite a big project, Welcome to Marwin, uh, mm -hmm. directed by the legend that is Robert Zemeckis. Um, just call me Bobby. Oh, is that, is, 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 is that what you call him? Uh, yeah, that's that's what he, uh, you know, almost demanded <laughs> to be called on the set. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I know the kind of thing you speak. I remember we interviewed uh, Richard Donner, the director yeah. of like the Goonies and Superman and stuff like that. And I remember when the first thing when we spoke to him, he said, uh, "We said, what should we call you?" And he said, "Mr. Donner." Oh, he said, "Okay, <laughs> Mr. Donner." Okay, and he went, "No, Dick, call me Dick." <laughs> like, yeah, it's like so. It seems like I would imagine Robert Zemeckis a similar kind of status Hollywood legend. Kind of seems yes, like that yes, kind of club, definitely. But they are misters. Yes, you know, like they are misters. Like they're they're. Oh my god, I can't tell you, man. Uh, that was a surreal from day one. Um. Are we talking about Marwin now? Are we talking yeah, about sure, Marwin? Yeah, sure, man. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's totally cool. It's like we're, we're just going to jump around kind of thing. And, like, um, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I'm really interested mm. to hear about how that came about because, obviously, we haven't seen the film yet. It's not out. Uh, but we watched the trailer, and, obviously, you're quite uh, a significant presence uh, in the trailer. You got quite a, you're banging out the big trailer lines in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Playing, Hopefully, uh, yeah. Yeah, that means I'm I'm still in the movie. Yeah, yeah, they, they can't get <laughs> you out now, man. It's it, it's there. Like, um, but how how did that come about? Um. Okay, so I, I see this call for this for this script, and I'm not and I'm not so much drawn to the stars that I'm working with. 
you know, of course, like, you know, Steve Carell, he's one of the planet's biggest recognizable actors. Of course, I'm not I'm not saying that that's not part of my decision making. But the story for me is always at, you know, that's number one, of course, director number two, of course, the star number three or whatever. But the story is always number one. And and so I, I read the breakdown and my heart broke. It's a true story. I mean, you can go online and, and look up the the original artist who Steve portrays. Uh, and it's this film is not loosely based. It is based on on um, this man's wife, Mark Hogan. Oh, Hogan, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it broke my heart. It just broke my heart. Um, it's a story of you know man's uh, you know inhumanity to man. Uh, you know he suffered a horrible beating. I don't think I'm giving anything away here. Um, a horrible I've beating. Seen it yeah, and um, I I play you know his legal representative, who uh, really I'm a, I'm a public defender, uh, and I'm just pushing, pushing as much as I can push a man like Mark uh, after what has happened to him. You know, he nearly lost his life. I'm pushing him to please bring charges against these guys and stand up in the court and defend yourself. You know, that's why uh, I think my character is so important in the story is because I help him to find himself again. Right. <laughs> and uh, the way that Mr. Zemeckis uh, tells this story so imaginatively being inside his mind, outside in the real world, making the two worlds slide seamlessly back and forth was just fascinating to watch how that was going to come together yeah, um, it, it, it looks really fascinating coming from Zemeckis you know who, who's done like Roger Rabbit mixing car, you know, animation and live action and, and his other 3D animated films as well it seems like another leap in kind of this blending this is this warmth. is his this is his arena and you know motion capture that's his thing and that's what he really that's his the sandbox that he loves playing with but the way that he can he can do that and do that with this technology and in this case you know we've got dolls basically gi joe dolls or barbie dolls you know if you want to need an image but you know that's he's using that to tell a story and real emotions of real people actors also is just it's brilliant like I can't, I can't wait to see this myself. I really can't. That, that must have felt like something completely different for once. I mean, you're, if you're, you know, you're on set on sets for like 20 plus years and then get something like this that finally, you know, really does feel like something new. That must be really exciting as well. Be like, how is this going to come together? And then to start seeing in the trailer and in the film, it's like, wow, I can fully see it. Unbelievably so. No, that mm. was going to school. That, I, I went to school every day. I was in, I was in a classroom with Mr. Professor Zemeckis. I kid you not. Like uh, you know, he's he is old school, and I mean that in the real world, in the real sense of the word, not ten years ago. You know, this guy was back there when there was film, first of all, and he's using images and he, and techniques to tell a story 
with a camera and the way he moves the camera around he's not wasting any time there's nothing superfluous going on he's not going to shoot something in 30 different angles and then decide he's already decided once he puts the camera there and points it in this direction at that actor while they're doing their thing it's for real you know and uh i'm i'm so i'm so happy that he chose me to be a part of his project i'm just I'm over the moon. Like that's right up there. You know, if I have Star Trek on one hand, and this was all last year, I have Robert Zemeckis and Steve Carell, and Welcome to Marwin. In the other hand, it's just so like doesn't get any better than this for an actor, for sure. Yeah, as you said, I mean that must have been because obviously you're working very closely with Steve Carell um, during mm-hmm. your scenes, everything like mm-hmm. that. I mean, it, it, how was that uh, relationship on set? Like, uh, I mean, Steve Carell, as you say, I mean he's he is a brilliant actor, and uh, it must have been yeah incredible to work with him in that way. Yeah, uh, he he did not speak to me out of character probably a month into it. Wow. Yeah. And I, I, I respected that. I get it. I, I totally get it. I didn't. There's certain actors that I didn't even acknowledge because they they hurt him in the story, and I wanted to keep that sort of hatred and distaste for them alive. So I didn't talk to them either. So you took like a cue from Steve's, like sort of always met. Well, that's set, uh, yeah. that's it's also how I work, you know, as well. Like there's certain things that I won't do. Uh, it doesn't matter if I'm doing a stage play. It doesn't matter. Like there's certain things that I won't do because I'm trying to preserve a certain reality for myself. You know, um, acting. Yeah, acting is make believe. Acting is artificial. It's art for God's sake. It's not real. But at the same time, what I'm feeling is very real uh, and to me. And if and you know if it's real to me and you can feel it from me, you're going to feel it. And that's I'm pushing for that. So if I have to sort of jeopardize an off-screen relationship to complete my art, I'm going to do it. You know, and he did it too. But by the time we got to a certain point in the shooting, you know, I I could then see and I knew that he now trusted me as an actor to let that down. Now he could let that down with me and go, oh man, this is this is who we really are. Now we can speak as just men, you know, men with children and lives and da 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 da. You know, and that in itself was then another thing that you know revealed uh, why we have that relationship on on screen. And I get you know, and I get it because it really fed into. Uh, just how damaged and, and tender he is, and so I I, I kind of liked it. To tell you the truth, it worked. It worked. You actually run an acting school, don't you, uh, Comrade? Called Coats and Company, I believe. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. is that you're talking? You're talking about the method there in regards to kind of you know staying character and kind of ignoring mm-hmm. the uh, actors who are playing. Uh, the neo-Nazi characters who uh, mm-hmm. beat Steve up. Is that the kind of method you teach in your school? I use my real life 100% of the time. And that's and that's the method that I teach. You know, there's a lot of uh, 
as if, and that's not anything new, you know, try to imagine a situation in your own life. That's not, that's not, that's not originally from me, but that is part of the methodology that I lean on heavily when I'm teaching somebody something, you know, I'm not, I don't ever encourage anybody to, uh, you know, when they get the script to start learning lines. In fact, I, I scold them not to do that. I get them to work on thoughts. I get them to work on do you remember a moment in your life when this happened to you or something vaguely similar? And then I try to work from a family structure, not uncles and aunts and grandparents and cousins, but brother, sister, mother, father within that family structure, because those are the people that can hurt you the most when you're, you know, in love or, or heated in an argument or lover, lover, you know, husband and wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, like really hot situations and that's I, I work in that world I work with that and if you can take a situation I'm sure you look in the newspaper that very same day you're going to find something just like it if you can use your imagination to sort of turn it turn it the prism a certain way so that the light and the truth of the situation gets you know becomes illuminated to you that's what you're going to play you're always going to play a, a type of reality even if you're in outer space you know um if i may mention defiance the show defiance mm -hmm. you know for me you know here's my secret you know i was just basically playing when we when we go into the town the first time um my daughter and i kinsey um when we go into the town the first time, you know, we're black people. <laughs> it's black people going into a foreign world, whatever that world may be, you know, and that's sort of what's happened. Like, we're not wanted. We're distrusted. You know, like, I'm, I'm going to play the race card. That's something that I know. It's very familiar to me. I've experienced that. I don't have to pretend that I'm purple and I'm coming from out of town and a, this or that. I don't have to do that. I just got to go. I've experienced this mm. when I was a kid, when I was a young man, was an oil adult man, when I, you know, whatever, you know, uh, it's something that's familiar. That fear, that those those sensations, that looking around, whatever. I've done that in real life. I just gotta recall that. I'm and I'm there. There's no acting required. Well, yeah, completely. I mean, it's, it's funny that you use the phrase um, playing the race card kind of thing because I think that sometimes. Uh, a phrase that some people use as uh, criticism, which is very odd to me because it's just like, well, no, that's what they're just playing your experience. Like, yeah, of, this, this is my is. life. Exactly. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah. no no denying it. Let's not, you know, everybody has experienced some form of prejudice at some point. It doesn't matter what color you are, what your hair type is, or even what your DNA may be. It doesn't matter. We've all experienced it on some level so that's what i always go to and i'm and i've you know I, i'm very sort of visceral i try to use images that are visceral and shocking sometimes to my students and i can see it on their face and i go yeah but now i got you thinking about it now i've got you actually engaged in a thought process to try to get you somewhere emotionally about this because if we're trying to be all nice and polite and I don't want to hurt your feelings, you know, once we start doing that, now we're like sucking all the drama out of it. And that's not my job. My job is to create the, a believable drama. So I've got to use every 
thing at my disposal to shock a person into going, oh, my God, I'm, I'm outraged or, oh, my God, I'm so in love or, oh, my God, isn't this beautiful? You know, like something. But, yeah, I'm always drawing on reality mm. for sure. Um, yeah, so we've got, uh, we actually was like got a thing about, um, talk about just moving on from Zemeckis, actually. It wasn't the first time you've kind of been in a very technical set. And I think we're doing like Tron Legacy. Um, yeah. Big, big fans of that film. And just yeah. thinking that that was the first time director. Uh, yeah. Well, it's remarkable to think that that was the case. But that, obviously, for an actor, what a job. In that situation, everything was there. Okay, so we have, we had Tron, the first one, the original one, which at that time, when the second one came out, Legacy, you know, that was the 25th sort of, you know, shout out to an, an, an honoring to it and i believe that disney you know who were the ultimate producer distributor of tron uh you know they had they had uh, you know my son's got pajamas they had all kinds of games they had all kinds of dolls they had all kinds of plans for for rides that were coming out uh, in, in their theme parks so there was a whole uh, this was just a part of a launching of all of these other products, if I may use that word, yeah. uh, that were going to happen. So Joseph, um, the director, he was, um, I believe, um, a designer um, on some level uh, who was really interested in film. Like he loved film, you know, he'd done commercials. He had, he had, uh, recorded commercials, shot rec commercials. So he had, you know, he knew how to move a camera and so forth. Uh, and then during this production, because it was in, uh, a, um, 3d technology, there was very specific ways that the set and the lighting had to be. And, you know, the wardrobe that we wore, the costumes that we had on, the set were all designed by the director, Joseph. And the lights were embedded in the sets in a certain way, at least the set that I was on. And the lighting that we all wore, you know, were all battery operated. So as soon as, you know, cut was called, it was a good five minutes to turn everybody off. And before we rolled anything, everybody was tested to make sure that nothing was going to flicker out while we're in the middle of a take. And then it was a good 10, 15 minutes to power everybody on. And then by the time we start shooting it, so like in between takes alone was the set and the resetting was, was huge. But he knew exactly where everything was, like all the time. He already knew how he was going to cut it, even, you know, as we were shooting it to my dismay. He was like, you know, basically said, you're not going to get any coverage on this. I'm just going to shoot it wide and I'm going to come around on Michael over here. And, uh, you know, you'll be over there and, and I could see right away. Oh, OK, so I'm cut out of this scene. But yeah, but it was just but I mean, like you know, I'm the there, gonna do. yeah, I'm there. But, you know, in my, his mind, I'm already gone. But he, but you know, that's what he wanted to do, and uh, there was another group of executives with these funny glasses on to make the 3D real for them, watching in monitors how this was also working. So it wasn't just him making decisions; it was you know he, there was a team of executives right there with him, helping him along, uh, you know, to make to realize this thing. Because that again, much like rebooting another um, Star Trek. To reboot a Tron, like, 
Mm, big mountain. That's a big mountain. You know, it's a lot of work. Mm, with all that money on the line, like you say, with Disney and execs and all, all that kind of stuff, I mean, you've got to hopefully have someone who, who can put it together like that and get it out and have it come out like and not just wing this thing. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I thought he did a really good job. I, I really did. I, yeah, I, I quite enjoy the movie. I quite, I really do. I, I, I quite enjoy it. I love everybody's performance. Um, I, yeah, very imagine, great imagination, and to be able to tie it into number one too. Like, yeah. wow, well done. Didn't get to keep one of the light suits to take home then. <laughs> oh my god, uh, that would have been a good steal. <laughs> if if I could have taken, you know, just a little memento from each each of my shows, I think I think I'd have quite the museum. To tell you the truth. <laughs> Quite the museum happening because you know I've I've been very fortunate to be on some like major all time productions that that that'd be fun to have. I say with the Disney execs hovering so nearby, it wasn't going to be wasn't really on the cards that time, was it? <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to be soundtracked by Daft Punk as well. Yeah, who you know were probably walking around, but I wouldn't know it because who's seen them? <laughs> they they would look like part of the set. Yeah. <laughs> they would look like part of the set. <laughs> that's, I mean, that, that score is absolutely amazing. So I thought it was even really like, good. Yeah, it's so so good. Um, just because we were talking about the acting school uh, prior to this, comrade, one thing I did want to ask you about was that um, obviously, being that you started uh, acting school, obviously wanting to pass on your experience to uh, younger actors, and mm-hmm. that, I wondered who were the touchstones for you that you learned from who made you want to be an actor when you were young and coming up? You know, this is going to sound really kind of corny, but I never, I had no aspirations to be an actor or a performer or in front of the camera or, or any of that, to tell you the truth. I, I had no aspirations for that. Um, I was basically a shy, geeky, failed athlete uh, of a kid. Um... Failed by injury, not because I didn't, you know, I couldn't make a team or anything, just Mm. through a lot of sports injuries. And um, I I ended up going to, I don't know if you've ever heard of Second City, they're an improv group here, right? Um, And uh, I was with with a school friend of mine one night, and we're sitting on this patio bar uh, in Toronto, summer evening very warm and uh and a guy that he went to school with uh, and he took journalism i went down another road and he went to he went to journalism and uh they said um well, what are you doing now and i says i'm and i'm not doing anything i'll probably just go home and go to bed and he goes why don't you come to uh, an improv class it's uh you know, it's free. The first class is free. And I was like, I know nobody in this city. I got nothing to do. Why don't I do that? And I went and I had an epiphany when I was there just improvising. You know, I think I was playing a street character in this little um, sketch that we were working on. And like a lightning bolt, you know, it was like uh, how I like to put it is uh, I'd be a porcupine backing into a cactus and saying, Mama, is that you? <laughs> that's that's how it came to me. Like it just something just like went off in my head to say, "This, hey, buddy, psst, this is it." And I and I dropped everything else that I was doing, and I was like pursuing being a pilot. You know, I wanted to fly planes. I was 
um, supervising computer operations for the city uh, at one point. Uh, you know, I was doing everything but acting. And once I came across this, you know, I just got so absorbed in uh, Shakespeare and the theater uh, that that's what I went after. I just went, this is what I want to do. It's great to, you know, realize and remember that these epiphanies do happen in real life. You know, they're not just uh, like a movie trope of, of a character getting getting into a story, but they can happen to us and they clearly do. And it's great to hear that it, it came together like that. Yeah. And you, you, you do have to honor it, right? Yeah. You, mm. you know, I, cause I do think that we're all capable of hearing our own inner voices and inner selves, you know, screaming out to us at times, which I think is what a nightmare is. You know, a nightmare is just progressed from a dream to something going, Hey, pay attention. <laughs> and then it becomes a nightmare. But, uh, you know, this voice was really loud for me because I, you know, who in their right mind would go, okay, I'm going to drop everything and become an actor. Who in their right mind does that? Nobody. Nobody does that. People go, okay, I'm going to run off and I'm going to save a bunch of people in a different country. A lot of people do that. Mm. Or, you know, I'm going to go sign up and I'm going to go, you know, stop that burning forest over there. A lot of people do that, but not a lot of people go, oh, I'm going to drop everything all the security I have in my life and go off and go climb without ropes and swing without ropes in a net. And cause that's basically what I think I'm doing now. You gotta do what you gotta do. That's it. You gotta, gotta do it. Amen. <laughs> so you've been, you've been across so many TV shows over the, over the decades now. Is there, are there any that really stick out or some of the ones that you, you have sort of semi-regular spots for? Is it, is it nice to come into a show for more than just like a solo guest episode, but knowing you're only going to be there for five, maybe ten episodes or so? To tell you the truth, I, uh, I'm not happy when I'm only going to go in for, a, for a, a day or a two or, a, or an episode on something. I, I'm not happy about it. I, I, uh, I really love the long game. You know, I really love... Yeah, the long ball of, of anything. So, to, to, yeah. you know, which is why I love the stage so much because I do. I get to, you know, sit in a character for two straight hours and tell this very elaborate story. In some cases, uh, I love that. Defiance. You know, I came in in the third season, and I had an opportunity to introduce and develop, an, uh, you know, a, what became a very important character to to the demise of a show that had already enjoyed two seasons um you know that's that's definitely one of those standout uh characters for me and and productions and shows for sure loved it um anything that i get a chance like that to do which is not very often unfortunately you know the dresden files again within the sci-fi realm you know I, I, I love it because it's something that's just not, it's not of this world. And, I, and by that, I mean in, in, familiar in all of its terms. You know, it's not familiar to us. So anything like that, and that's a bit of a challenge, and you, you're trying to make believable, and you're trying to make honorable, and it's for itself or its own character, you know, um, you know, because we are all full of contradictions and we all do bad things. But, you know, to make a character believable and lovable and acceptable on some level, that's that's a treat for me, but whatever, sounds, whoever. It sounds like you get the biggest thrill from kind of taking on characters that are the furthest from where you can draw from in your own life. You know, where it's such a tenuous kind of like thing that you actually are really having to dig deep. 
for that. To make well, it real, you yeah. know, it's it's so funny because I used to really try to imagine everything, um, and it's only been in like, honest to God, like the last seven eight years that I've really come to understand the reason why people love stories is that they can connect to the person that's telling the story or to another character that's within the story. And, I, and I'm talking about, it could be a nursery, you know, a, a bedtime story for a, for a four-year-old, you know what I mean? The child is totally interested in hearing that the train can go up the hill and the train is saying i know you know and you can see the kid's face going yes 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 go go even at that age like it understands the importance of being able to identify so now i'm i'm really working harder to make the character more identifiable regardless of how hideous it may look or foreign it may sound, there is something that is identifiable to us here on this earth. And that's, this is all we've got. Mm. We still have not proven that there's anything outside of this existence. So until that time, this is what we've got, something that's relatable. And so, you know, I'm always trying to dig that out with the humor. Well, I think that's very important. I think, yeah, in regards to, you know, there's there's nothing better than when you see a kind of a character who is essentially the bad guy who's relatable, kind of thing, who they manage to make kind of, you know, sympathetic. I mean, I think a really good example is um, Michael B. Jordan in Black Panther, um, a reason yeah. where he was the bad guy. But I think most people who went to see that film could not help but sympathize with Killmonger as a character. Um, yes. Because where he was coming from was actually a lot of stuff that he was saying, you were kind of like, yeah, he's kind of got a point. Um, but it's just his way of going about things was perhaps too far. But you still mm-hmm. sympathize with him. Exactly. That's exactly it. And that will be... Well, I mean, look at that film already, man. Like, that's the highest grossing movie ever. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's going crazy, and it's still still there. Going like, yeah, getting more and more. It's really, it's it's amazing what that film managed to do. I cannot believe, you know, people that I know, these are grown people. They have seen that movie four or five times already. And I'm just looking at that going, for real? I can't wait to see what, I mean, it's Guy Fox Day in England. But, you know, here in Halloween, everybody dresses up, as I'm sure you know the tradition. But, you know, people dress up as this, that, and the other. And I'm waiting to see how many Black Panthers we got walking around here. Yeah, this is the Black Panther. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it yeah. certainly is. It Most certainly definitely. is. I mean, you mentioned uh, England. I mean, I, I should stress that we do have Halloween as well. It's just that five days later, there is also uh, Guy Fawkes Night, uh, Fireworks Night. Um, but you you were born in London, weren't you, Conrad? Yes, I was. Uh, My fam- I still got go family there. I was going to ask you when this is on, because I'm going to get them all to listen to it. Oh, amazing. Well, we'll, we'll, let, you, we'll let you know when it's edited and going to go out and everything. Like oh, that. I mean, good. It's, it, it'll, be, it, it'll be available. It's not like a radio show where it's only available for a certain time. It'll, it's, it's there. It'll be up there in your archives. Yeah, yeah. It's, for a while. Yes, it's out, I believe that. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Thank you all. Well, I'm glad you didn't have any trouble about accents, and that's clearly because you're from here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we know that we do know that you know some of the world's best actors 
man, they're from they're from the island. They're from the island of England. <laughs> like it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Well, yeah. there's, there's so many in American television that we didn't know were English until much much later. Yeah, you look at half, yeah. half the wire. And we're like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. All of a sudden, like the, it's it's cut. And all this, and you just hear all this. Oh, oh, God! That was so hard to do that scene. And you see all the American actors' heads turn, and they're like, "What? I thought you were American." <laughs> oh no, man! No, no. no. Um, one thing I've got to ask you about, um, Conrad, because a friend of the show, Rebecca Shortall, who's come on the show before, um, is a podcaster, and she has a podcast called Drunk Degrassi where they talk about uh, the Degrassi shows and I know that you actually played Drake's dad in Degrassi The Next Generation, is that right? Am I, spo- am I, am I supposed to be drunk here? <laughs> no, no, no. They get drunk and watch Degrassi Next Generation. Oh, no way. Like, uh, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> So at some point, I think they would watch you being uh, Drake's father in that show. So, I mean, that must be a bit of a mad one, in the sense of considering what Drake has gone on uh, to do, to have that kind of memory of uh, playing that. Okay, I, I've, I do have to tell this story, and I, and I know he will not mind. But um, he knew that uh, his days were numbered on Degrassi. I think, it, I think he knew this was going to be final season for him. And... Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I'd ask him at that time. I said, so, what are you, what are you going to do? He goes, oh, I'm going to work on my music. And I go, your music. And he goes, oh yeah, yeah, I got, I got this music I'm working on. I go, why? He goes, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a rapper. And I, I looked at him, and I could, I could tell, he was dead serious. He was dead serious. And everybody else was like, they wanted to continue their acting career. And he says, no, no, I'm, I'm going to do my music. And he said it as seriously as that. And I've got to tell you. He has gone beyond what I saw in his eyes at that time, way beyond. And I, I personally could not be, you know, more proud of him and for him. Phenomenal. And right now, at this moment, he's got more records on the Billboard Top 30 than there are actual rock and roll players or songs or of the genre of the rock and roll he has got more like that like that's not mega like that's uber mega right like that's unbelievable it's hard enough to get in into acting so to get that far and then to pivot that way and, and be so confident about it you have to know there's something there's something with this kid you know he's he's gonna do it yeah and and he has um, so like i say incredibly proud of him I'm incredibly proud to be a part of his story. Uh, you know, minor as my role may be. Uh, you know, I still I, I get a big thrill out of uh, this type of a question because it comes up a lot for me now, uh, and just because you know I played his dad, or, <laughs> like he probably doesn't even know who I am anymore. Oh, I'm sure that's not the case. It's a TV surrogate father figure right there. Yeah, and um, yeah, but then I was a bad dad because no, I haven't seen him since. <laughs> he got up out of the wheelchair and he just walked away. You know, it's horrible. <laughs>
One uh, thing I want to ask you about in regards, because earlier on we were talking about Star Trek Discovery and Welcome to Marwin being in the same year. Um, I mean, those are two, as you said yourself, really significant roles um, for you to play. Being a part of the Star Trek legacy and then Welcome to Marwin, I mean, it certainly seems to me from watching the trailer at least that, you know, this is a very pivotal role in the film. Um, you're getting a lot of big moments in that trailer, and you know you've been uh, kind of you're know, an actor for a long time, built up a lot of credits, and now to get those two projects at the same time, and you know you said yourself that you get kind of irritated at kind of coming in for just one episode of a TV series or something like that. It, it must feel like you're potentially on the on the cusp of something. Like even after acting for that long and having that real career and body of work it must feel like oh okay this this might be something new coming here I've waited all my life to be an overnight success <laughs> <laughs> that's the honest to God's truth of it I've waited all my life to be an overnight success and there's no joke in that in in the sense of um, you know you gotta you, I, I guess you gotta be good you know, like I think I've I can finally like accept that praise if anybody wants to say that, you know, that well, you know, I guess I'm good enough to be working with those people and in these types of productions and you know I'm really happy to be a part of it. I really am. And for me it's always about the work. I I love working. I don't I don't care what it is. I don't I don't I really don't. You know children's puppet theater. I'd still like to do a voice, you know, um, and it's about the exploration of the lives of these characters that I get a chance to play. And I am in elaborate places, outer space, in a spaceship, in a courtroom, uh, on the edge of a plane, getting ready to jump out as a, you know, as a parachutist or whatever, you know, like that's that's exciting. That's really exciting to me, and I'm so happy that I have found or it found me this career to give me these skills to you know allow me to be you know have the physical attributes that i have and be healthy enough to do the things that i'm asked to do like man i am so blessed and i'm so lucky and i'm so fortunate and i am so grateful it's really that simple and so i would feel like uh, it would be a failure if I didn't ask you about uh, your stage work being that you know I know uh, that's very important to you and you've you've done a lot of stage work over the years um, mm-hmm. I, I'd be interested uh, to hear from yourself which is more in, if, if one is preferred because they're very different crafts acting on stage mm-hmm. and acting on screen you use a different mm-hmm. set of skills essentially uh, is it it just kind of different things for you. Is there one you prefer? Lately, I've been experiencing a type of terror on stage. Uh, um, I, I did this show. It was called He Left Quietly. Um, a true story about a South African man who was going... He, he was sentenced to be hung for murdering a, a township councilman whom he did not murder. And uh, and 
the writing was so vivid and, and explicit and uh, visceral that, uh, you know, um, I, I one day in, in preparation began to experience the terror of dying, like knowing that I was going to I was about to be, you know, hung and uh, and and also being in this uh, environment uh, with all these other men, death row on death row and and experiencing that and i experienced this this terror um and in the, the performance uh of that character uh i just yeah like it i was i was afraid um so i knew that the work that i was doing i was now going into a depth that was, you know, a place where, you know, I've always wanted to go as an actor to be able to get that deep into the emotion and the reality of it. Um, and then I started to be able to experience, I've just been starting to be able to experience that on while I'm on camera in, an, in a situation where the takes are shorter, you know, three minutes, four minutes five if you're lucky you know a minute and a half is the sort of average two minutes is the average but to get into that state in in a really quick amount of time has, has now started to make the film uh it's not still my my choice always is or to this moment anyways has been the stage because i get a chance to get a run at it and get into it over a period of time mm. But now I've, I think I've got my technique to a place where I'm like, whoa, uh, experiencing a different reality on camera. And that's becoming very special because that performance will be more widely seen. And, and that's another, I think, selfish wish of every actor is that they want their work to be seen, just like any musician wants their songs to be heard, you know? Yeah, very much so. It kind of sounds like the two crafts uh, influencing each other in a lot of ways you go on. Yes. Um, what have you got coming up? Is there anything interesting in the pipeline that you're really excited about? Ooh, uh, yeah, there's a spat of TV that I'm uh, shooting this month, next month. Um uh, and then back onto the stage in uh, the fall with the new play called uh, The Philosopher's Wife. Uh, we'll be doing that here at the Illuminato Festival. That, that's going to be in Toronto. Uh, and then another uh, play as well about a, a rape victim, which is actually the story of my daughter. And, and we're telling the, the experience of... Um, what our family is going through and what she's going through and the legal process and the denial of, of that reality for her. Uh, that'll be a play as well. Um, and uh, some stuff, like there's a, there's a lot of stuff that I really, like, you know, I, I try not to talk about. I, I really, I've, I, I, I've never talked about my work, like what I'm doing. Uh, just because I'm sort of superstitious that, you know, it's going to jinx it somehow. Uh, but suffice it to say that yeah, there's a bunch of things coming up, and yeah, to, I mean to be done. That I mean, obviously, yeah, that sounds like a very interesting, potentially, I, I, I would hope, cathartic project for you and your family. 
Um, oh yeah, no, this is not this is not my this is not a personal story. It's not a personal story. First of all, I'll say that. But but the uh, but the character that I'm playing, uh, the father with the two daughters that are trying to you know help each other and. Uh, yeah, that's going to be cathartic for sure, most definitely, and especially yeah. in this time of hashtag Me Too. Mm. Um, yeah, so. it's uh, yeah. There's something there's something really special about it. It's a one act play. It's going to be very quick, but something tells me that it's it's going to be like a punch in the face to yeah. the to that, the world. It's that's I'm, the, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's the power of theatre as well to make it more immediate. So it's. It, it, it's, you know, it's the fact that a story like that can be delivered directly to people, and you can see and see response and hear hear from them as well. It must be really give that an extra edge. Exactly, that's exactly right, man. Um, you, you know, you don't know the outcome of anything. You know what I mean? Like, you know, even as I'm watching the World Cup or Wimbledon or you know, and uh, you know, you always hear this word upset, upset, upset. And it's like, what, what upset? This is life. There's like, what are you expecting here? Well, we were <laughs> Well, yes, I'm, as, as I was too. I was, you know, I was right there with you, my brothers. Uh, but, In this present uh, time. But at the same time, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's well, in this case, Croatia's time. And let's, let's see who wins Wimbledon uh, if we're talking about that. But life is, life is an upset. You know what I mean? Life, life is an upset. So who knows what the outcome's going to be? Mm. I mean, as you reference with Me Too, it's a, it's a real-time transition in Hollywood, um, which I'm sure you've kind of you know seen happening around you. Um, you know, I kind of you absolutely no need to comment whatsoever on uh, this, but obviously I know from your kind of CV that you were in X Men Apocalypse, uh, mm-hmm. directed by Brian Singer. Uh, uh-huh. Obviously, who is, is one of the people who has been accused um, uh-huh. during this time? Um, uh-huh. You know, it, it, I, I find it interesting the sense of what that experience would have been like for you um, being given the accusations in kind of like you know this time with your obviously own feelings about that. Well, that's a very large production. That's mm. like you know. And it's not the immediacy of theater in the sense the director is standing in front of you directing. Mm. In fact, on that production, you don't even see the director, but you hear the director's voice. Right. You know, he's somewhere I couldn't even tell you where. I, you know, and I was there for quite some time. I, could, I couldn't even tell you where he was sitting. But... Uh, he was seeing whatever he needed to see off of his banquet of, uh, you know, uh, screens. Uh, but whenever he spoke, it was through a microphone. Well, I mean, Matt's actually worked on set with uh, Brian as well, and uh, I think he seemed to be nodding in agreement with the kind of what you were saying. Like, uh, oh, excellent! I, I, Good. Very, I'm not, I wasn't imagining it then. Yeah, no, I, I, had, I had a very small, like, I had a very small part as an extra on uh, one of his films, which was shot on location, and it was you know big, big crowd scene and everything. And yeah, we never saw him. I think he was up in a tent in the horizon, like watching and yeah. getting the megaphone out every now and then. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, he did come down and introduce himself at the top of the day. After everything was set up, mm-hmm. rehearsed, and we were about to shoot. That's when he actually appeared. The apparition formed. <laughs> we all said hi and, you know, breathed the same air. And then I never saw him again. Then I just I just heard mm-hmm. him after that. It was It was kind of, it was kind of wild. That yeah. was kind of wild. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't mean to make you uncomfortable, comrade, at all. Like by asking about that, I just felt that it was one of those things. Nothing. Nothing. Uh, absolve yourself right here. Nothing you you guys have asked me has been you know uncomfortable in any way, shape, or form. Honestly, oh, I'm glad to hear that. No, 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 no. It's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Obviously, we we're really looking forward to welcome tomorrow, and we'll definitely be going to. Uh, see that and I mean you know I think you know it's probably going to be part of award season um, at the end of the day so I think there could be some exciting times ahead wow uh, I am trying to secure a ticket to get down there and uh, be, a, be a part of the celebration you know because like I said at the top you know I am the last hair on the dog's ass uh, when it comes to any of these things, uh, I've just somehow been really fortunate to be a part of of it all. Uh, and so, you know, when it comes out, yes, do think of me. Uh, and uh, I, I, I know you. I know you're going to enjoy it. I, I know you are. I know you are. I mean, I think this is a really interesting period in Zemeckis' career, to be honest with you, in the sense of because he's had so many stages. His career, obviously, we think of Zemeckis, we think of the Back to the Future trilogy, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but then he had this period where he was doing the CG motion capture kind of films. Oh my Bay, God! Chris it Cal- goes Pirate on Express. and on and on. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, Polar Express. Uh, oh my God, man! It goes on and on. I actually was. When I was preparing for that, I I actually had tears in my eyes one night because I I sat down and I went on his IMDb list and there's most and most of his trailers are there. Yeah. And I started to like just click on them and I went, oh my god, I've seen this film. And I clicked on the next one. And I went, I remember this movie. And I worked myself up into this state of. Oh my God! I'm going to the top of the mountain, and I'm about to meet Jesus. <laughs> That's what it kind of felt like. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, oh my God, God's going to be there when I get there. You know, it was like that. And uh, and when I got there, yeah, he was there, and I did meet him, and I shook his hand, and I broke bread with him, and. Uh, I hope I meet him again. You know, <laughs> well, like hopefully, that's... hopefully, at the hopefully at the premiere, like call up Bobby, say, "Come on, man, you got you got hook me up with those tickets." Like, but this is what I mean. We're in a new chapter now, in the sense of suddenly he's moved into this kind of really interesting niche, which are these adult dramas, all of them based on true stories, uh, yep, to a certain yep. degree, or yes. you know. Um, where like flight, the war, flight. Ally. Oh my God! What a movie! Yeah, completely. And these things where it's like they're very, they're actually in other people's hands, potentially stagey dramas. But he's directing them with his technical sensibility. So in flight, you've got the big plane crash. In the walk, you've got the twenty-minute walk uh, mm-hmm. itself. In Allied, you've got the amazing period setting. And in mm-hmm. Welcome to Marwin, you've got the toy sequences. So he's mm-hmm. making these 
dramas in a way that no one else is by bringing this technical aspect to them. Spot on. You're, you're spot on in that observation, and that's what and that's what he was saying. You know, I, this is this is my this is my arena now. Motion capture are the stories that he wants to tell, and they're real. Like even though, you know, he's taking the technology like in flight and flips a plane upside down. Now, if you tried to do that a hundred years ago, fifty years ago, it looked so hokey. You know, because there'd be so many cables involved and then the cutout, is that going to look right? Is that is the guide wire going to be seen? But he has mastered it now so that he can, you know, put actors in a, in a setting. It's a very safe, controlled setting and now present these incredibly dangerous situations like the walk. Like you're 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 sweating as you're watching oh, yeah. that movie. Your arms are under your underarms and your palms are wet as you're watching the sequences that this guy goes through. It's it's phenomenal. But yes, you're you're absolutely spot on. He has now mastered the technology and is probably, you know, right there with the creators of the technology going, Okay, yeah, I, I, I can I can do this if the technology can do this. So I, I think it's kinda it's he's pushing and it's pushing him. And he's pushing back and and allows him now to look for these kind of stories where we can get right inside of it Mm -hmm. as opposed to stand outside of a painting and go, oh, yeah, I can still imagine that. You don't have to imagine that anymore. He's giving it to you. It's and it's uh, and he's doing it with such mastery and calm. May I say calm. Such confidence, such calm. The whole, like everybody just, the whole ship just moves, you know, silently through the night. It's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable set to be on. Love to work with him again in a minute. Well, he's such an old pro at this point. At the end of the day, and and like you say, those those kind of guys, they yeah, like they're still waters run deep, as it were. Yes. Yeah, like an iceberg, man. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Promise we're going to let you go, comrade. All right, just then, then anytime, gentlemen. Lo- anytime, last question anytime. I'll just ask you, just because you did touch upon it earlier, uh, I felt like I should have expanded on it. With Welcome to Marmon, when you were first talking about it, it sounded like you know you really were able to get into that character because it was kind of you know personal for you. These are neo-Nazis who actually beat Steve Crowell's character up and everything like that. And it, it sounded like that was very easy for you to get in that personal place of like you know these are bad guys and they need to go down as you you say in the trailer you know i want to make sure these guys get more than just a slap on the wrist and you know i can i can imagine you know that must have felt personal you with the kind of turbulence that's going on in america right now well i'm gonna i'm gonna do a little 180 on you on that flip um where it became personal for me was i have I spent the last, you know, four years uh, studying psychotherapy. Um, we now have a college, the first college in Canada uh, for uh, psychotherapists, and I hope to be a member of that uh, one day in the not too distant future. So I, I'd been studying a lot of psychotherapy and had done, uh, as part of the tradition, you know, work on myself and, and seeing a therapist for a bunch of years. So I was now really aware of 
what's going on in our gentle egg yolk of a mind, you know, and, and how vulnerable we all are. And it's that sensibility, it was that reality that I brought to this character that I'm playing. And uh, what I what I saw right away when I read the script was like, yeah, how hurt this guy is, mm. how damaged he is, and how vulnerable, how, how his vulnerability made him so susceptible to this type of violence, you know, and that's something that I see within our society, like I say, our inhumanity to each other, you know, I see that all the time. Um, you know, I did a, a short film about homeless people. It's something that I see all the time. And so that's the thing that I, I, I really connected with when I, when I read the script. And uh, that's the thing that I shared with, you know, Mr. Zemeckis was that this is, this is what I'm feeling. This is my empathy button is like way over here in the red flagging up over here in the red because and he he uh sensed you know that i was being honest about that and uh he allowed me to explore that um in this film with him so that's that's where i that's where i'm coming from but of course yes the nazis of course they play a big uh part of it and that's just a reimagining of who the actual you know culprits were <clears throat> That makes sense. That's fascinating insight, Conrad. Thank you for that. Uh, and we yeah, really man. look forward to seeing it. Yeah. Um, but we're yeah. going gonna to let you go, Conrad. It's been great, mate. And wish you all the luck for the future. And with Welcome to Marwin, obviously. And maybe even that call for Discovery Season 2. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I'll let you know when I get back there for sure. <laughs> right, just before we wrap things up today, we have a trailer to share with you for an upcoming play called Providence, starring friend of the show Simon Mader. I went myself to see his acclaimed comedy Jurassic Park at the Brighton Fringe. It was a loving spoof of Jurassic Park set at the Lyme Regis Jurassic Coast Visit Centre. Needless to say, it was hilarious, and both Matt and Liam have given the new show Providence the highest recommendation. So, take it away, Simon. Good evening. My name is Howard Phillips Lovecraft. And I'm Edgar Allan Poe. Calling all horror fans. We would cordially like to invite you to our show, Providence. The Shadow Over Lovecraft. Hey, that's you! That is me indeed. We're gonna be on at the Edinburgh Festival at the Assembly Rooms every day in August. 5 p.m. sharp. The show's about my glum friend here and how he wrote the greatest horror stories since, well, me! Not to mention the tentacles, the tragic family history, the racism... I assure you, it will have many laughs. It's gonna be scary, too. Wait till you see the price of the tickets. He's joking. They're very cheap. Check it out for yourself at www.assemblyfestival.com. Or you can call the concierge on 0131-623-3030. Be sure to ask... For Providence. We hope to see you there. Thank you sincerely for listening and for heeding the call.